Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. We're a spin-off podcast for the Film Stage website, part of the Film Stage show. I'm here today with Connor O'Donnell, my podcast producer and very good friend. Connor, how are you? I'm great, Dan. And we're going to get topical. We went a little crazy. We went, we went Beatty. We, we did the Beatty Boys. Yeah. Um, we did Meg Ryan, which actually, they'll come back around with Meg here, but we did Meg Ryan with my lovely mother. We're going to get back on with current releases. Today we're talking Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. <laughs> Do you want me to drop that in there? <laughs> and, <laughs> drop it in. And we're... um. We're talking these two guys. Obviously, they are the stars, the voice stars of Toy Story currently. No, if get you're, out. If you're listening, uh, Toy Story 4 is in theaters. While we record, it's just releasing, so me and Connor have not had a chance to see uh, Toy Story 4 yet. But we'll start talking a little bit about Toy Story in the context of you know the culture and the three movies um, that are obviously coming before Toy Story 4. And all of that. Um, and then we're going to jump into a few different movies that these guys made that are a little bit less known. And I'll go through them really quickly as we jump into it. So chronologically, we're going to talk The Man with One Red Shoe, which came out in 85, starring Mr. Tom Hanks. We're going to then go to 1990. Also Tom Hanks, Joe versus The Volcano, co-starring Meg Ryan. We briefly brought this movie up during the makes Meg Ryan B-side uh, podcast. And then we're popping up to O2 for a movie called Big Trouble, uh, starring Tim Allen and a bunch of other people, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, and finishing in 08 with David Mamet, the man, his movie Red Belt, which uh, co-starred Tim Allen in an interesting uh, kind of different type of role. Now, before we get into those movies, uh, I'll say... I'll remind everybody, if you're listening for the first time, the B-side, we talk about movie stars, but not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the movies they made in between. Uh, I will say, with The Man with the Run Red Shoe, Tom, Tom Hanks was right at the beginning. He was, he was, it was him or Michael Keaton. That was the mid-80s. That was where right. he was. He was a star um, because he had had Splash and he had had a bachelor party and he was a TV star as well uh, with Bosom Buddies, but we'll get into that. Before we do... Toy Story, Connor, what do you think? I don't know. Do you like these movies? Does anybody like them? Toy Story? I feel like nobody likes these movies, right? Everybody hates no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it. I, rem- I have a vivid memory of seeing, like, the poster for this movie. Right. Um, I definitely love this movie as a kid, obviously, uh, the first one. And I remember seeing the poster for it and thinking, like, like actually being struck by like, oh, I haven't seen a movie that looks like that before. Yeah, I mean, people forget, I guess, right? I mean, of course you would. Um, 95, this was, especially in a feature capacity, feature film capacity, new, right? I mean, Pixar was was in new territory with Toy Story. Um, and And even the idea, which, you know, you'll get hints of in other properties, was very interesting and its own thing, right? Toys coming to life, you know, while they're being, you know, ignored, right? You know, this idea that yeah. they have these secret lives, um, which, of course, you know, you see in the culture in other respects, small soldiers, obviously, you know what I mean? Something like the secret life of pets, which I think, as I understand it, is a little, you know, it, that that 
title is almost a little deceiving to what the movies are actually about, but you get it, right? In 95, this was brand new. Uh, it was Pixar's first feature film. It obviously is the franchise for that amazing company. And, you know, their fourth one, the Toy Story 4, now in theaters, it's been what? It's been 20, is it 25 years? Yeah, basically yeah. 25 years since, you know, we... You know, what I remember from Toy Story, I remember it well, of course, and we'll, I guess, get into the sequels um, and how we feel about them briefly. But, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. This was still at the kind of beginning of celebrities doing voice work, right? We mentioned actually Meg Ryan a couple episodes ago uh, doing voicing Anastasia, right? So right. that was starting to happen. But it's, it's only rough. three It's only three years after Aladdin. Right, right. Like, right. Yeah. And even Aladdin, that's voice work where it's Robin Williams. That's kind of what people point to, right? So. Yeah. You have, and here to think, the live-action Aladdin's in theaters, man. How time flies. Just, ugh. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you had you had Tom Hanks, who is right in his moment, right? This is 95, Apollo 13. He's just won two Oscars in a row. And, and you know, hey, credit to Tim Allen. This is right in his moment, too. I mean, he's Tim the Toolman Taylor, on home improvement when this movie comes out. So you have basically one of the biggest TV stars in the world, one of the biggest movie stars in the world voicing Woody and Buzz in what is now this seminal franchise, you know, in our lifetime, right? And so I remember it's funny, the thing I remember most growing up with uh with Toy Story is the creepy neighbor kid, Sid. Oh yeah. That whole horrifying Yeah. You know, where then you know, uh, Woody's head turns around and he freaks him out and stuff like yeah. that stayed with me. That really did. And I love the little soldiers, the little G.I. Joe guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Arlie Ermy or is it just a dude who sounds like Arlie Ermy? I think it is Arlie Ermy. We can check it, but I, I'm almost positive it's Arlie Ermy. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, look, Toy Story 2 comes out um, a few years later. And by this point, Pixar is basically Pixar, right? It's you have a bug's life has happened. You have all these, you know. They are building their brand, um, you know, and this new type of animation is all the rage, right? And 2D animation is quickly on its way out. Now, you know, we point to, you know, DreamWorks with Jeffrey Katzenberg tried it a couple times. They, you know, with the 2D animation, obviously with The Bug's Life, DreamWorks tried with Ants. They both were hits. I think A Bug's Life did a little bit better. Um, I kind of prefer ants. Though. I prefer is ants that, as is well. Is that like a bad take? No, I, I, I like prefer. A... Well, I prefer ants as well. I think most people would disagree with us, but I, I do prefer ants as well. I mean, you know, the main ants voiced by Woody Allen. So there's it that. is our it is Arlie Ermy. That's by the what way. I knew it. Yeah, love. Okay. Love that yeah. performance. Um, And so and that was the and the thing, fun thing with that was the first time Arlie Ermy had ever played an intense soldier before. Obviously, he had never done that ever. Yeah, he'd before. never done it. He was never life, sure. never done it. Um, no. And then, so Toy Story two. A lot of people regard Toy Story two as as the superior movie, right? The second being the better of the two. Do you have any thought and opinion on that? I so I thought that for a while, and then, I mean, years ago. Yeah. Years ago, I I rewatched. The second one, I want to say, because I own the I own the first two on Blu-ray, and I want to say like when I got them, I rewatched them, and yeah. the mm-hmm. I remember thinking like the second one wasn't as good, um, and at the time that the third one came out, I really liked it, 
But I feel like now the 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 you know the internet at large is like Toy Story three kind of sucks. So everybody's happy we got four. I, I guess. See, I, this is That's, an interesting. But turn I remember, to me. I remember really liking three. Like, I, don't I know remember that, everybody I don't know that liking say three. It sucks. I just, I guess, I was surprised when Toy Story four got announced and then got made. There wasn't a little bit more backlash because I recall there being a hey, we wrap this up feeling to Toy Story 3 that people That's how I liked. felt when they announced it. I was like, oh, but no. I like, guess why? I'll say yeah. this. I guess I always liked Toy Story Toy Story 3 fine, but I did feel it was the less, the least of the three. Mm. Um, now, granted, Pixar does great work, right? So, you know, f- you know, you have your Cars movies, I guess, as you're kind of pointing to like, where they go, quote unquote, simple and commercial just to sell toy cars and whatnot. But in truth, you know, their their batting average is way high. And um, Toy Story 3 is great in, in the world of just movies. But I do remember feeling a little like it was a little cheap, right? They do the thing where they're going to get all they're all going to get burned up and then they get saved by the you know like the deus ex machina of the alien people and you know the claw and the claw callback and i remember rolling my eyes at that in the theater a little bit though of course the moment before that i was affected and even the wrap-up with you know it's andy going to college i believe right i mean you have it fits and so i'm definitely curious about toy story 4 um it's been obviously getting great notices so i'm excited to see it and it's nice you know from all this pr you believe i believe it i guess that like tom hanks and tim allen have this like enduring friendship in real life because they like do these movies which you know i you know who's, i don't know how true that is right, but it seems sure. it's to nice say, to think about you know but yeah. it's a nice they do a good job selling and of course in 4 you have new voices like keanu reeves coming in and making it like oh okay like just adding a little you know a little salt on the on, on the on the dish you know kind of spicing it up a little bit uh, he's also obviously having a moment so it well feels right it works good it works you know? in that respect so yeah i think that i mean i don't really have any real ranking i mean honestly like two one three right i guess that feels like yeah that's i feel like that's probably correct you know i you know that yeah. feels like what it is um but you know one can't be discounted for basically starting this whole thing so now Okay. It, not even whole thing, but whole like just breaking ground. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, literally what are, starting. Yeah, what animated this, movies are now? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and even to the point where you go back and you you know watch something like Robin Hood with the foxes, and you go, I mean, that type of hand drawn. You know, you miss it, but also it's hard to deny when you watch these movies, these new movies. I mean, what what it's a different type of art, but it's I yeah. mean, equally beautiful and just in different. Especially ways. when it's when it's like done. I think really well not to tangent but like uh, just a, a couple weeks ago uh i was watching i was re-watching the incredibles 2 on netflix and there are just sequences in that movie that are crafted right and granted brad bird's like a genius so there's that but it there are scenes in that movie that are just crafted that really just obviously you couldn't make any other way right and it's yeah. uh you put the camera in places that you couldn't put anywhere else if uh if you were doing either traditional animation or any, anything else um and yeah it's just uh i think also re-watching the first toy story and you see how it, it is kind of crazy to see how clunky it feels in comparison uh just in terms of its textures and and the way uh the way say the humans for instance kind of looking at like they look sort of yeah creep, that's like true creepy uncanny valley yeah. mannequins but um and that's not knocking the movie it's just time right but uh 
but yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, it like you said, you do forget. Like you forget what a landmark movie uh, that first movie really is. No, I mean it's true. It's such it, you know it's like it changed everything. You know what I mean? I mean the first time you saw the little light bouncing on the you know on the Pixar logo. You know what I mean? It's it was the beginning of something. So uh, all due respect to that. And look the voice look the voice work is very 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 impressive. I mean that's where you know and that's a segue into Hanks and Allen, right? I mean it it's so it's weird to think about this because they're both in their own ways so iconic. But yeah. it's weird to think they will probably be remembered in time more than anything as Woody and Buzz, even with all their other roles. You know, especially Hanks, of course, but even Alan, too. Um, but let's not focus on the ones we're going to remember them for. Let's focus on the ones that literally no one has thought of that for years. Ever, that no um, one remembers. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> now obviously doing this, there's a there's a difference between these two people, which is to say... Tom Hanks is a movie star, still a movie star, right? And Tim Allen never really, you know, he had the Santa Claus franchise. Uh, we won't be talking about any of those because, of course, those are his most A-side movies. Um, yeah. One we won't talk about, but I'll shout out here, is Jungle to Jungle, which was a ridiculous movie that he that made movie, yeah. with Martin Short, where it's like, <laughs> I mean, this is a movie we owned on VHS, so I watched it many times. Right. I, he, I, I had a friend who had it on VHS, yeah. so it was in heavy rotation for it, sure. You know, I believe it was a Disney movie, and it's basically he um, is a busy businessman working in the yeah. city, doesn't have time for anybody but himself, and then he finds out that he'd had this relationship many, many years ago and um, is the father of this of this boy who's now a, like a teenager – and was raised in the jungle and is like, it's almost like a Nell type of thing. Because his mom was part of the Peace Corps, right? It, basically, yeah. Something and it's like, like yeah. it's like a Nell thing. It's like, oh, he barely, he doesn't really speak the language, um, you know, but he's like this white, he's like a Tarzan type of thing, right? Yeah. And he goes from one jungle to another jungle. And that's the, that's the best part. It's, it's like, it, it's like. Written out like it's a sequel, but there was no first one. It's Jungle, jungle Two, Jungle. jungle like there's but it's a number the first one. for no. That's reason. a great point. That's a great point, actually. I guess. I guess like it's two jungles. Like, yeah, is that it's what they're trying to Two Jungle, dude. You got to watch jungle, out for that two Jungle. jungle. Two um, jungle two ju- so that's a movie. That's like a kids movie. That's like mildly offensive, right? In in in, yeah. in, in fits and spells, <laughs> you know. And um and and look, I mean, we'll get into it. Tim Allen's got a few of those. Um, and. It's forgettable, but, you know, me and Connor, we grew up in that time, mid-late 90s, so I remember the movie pretty well. Um, and he's got, like, a name, like Mimi Siku or something like that. Yep, that's, that's I know. feel like that. I think that's basically oy, oy, exactly oy. correct. Um, so, yeah. I want to note again that Jungle to Jungle is not one of our B-sides. Now, I'll just <laughs> say this, but but it speaks – so you have this different thing where, okay, Tom Hanks, jumping back. Because he'll he'll be the first movie we talk about. In the early '80s, he's the star of a sitcom called Bosom Buddies, um, and he's a, he becomes a TV star that runs for a few seasons, and it's like you know simple. This is in the time of Three's Company, right? Like that's what we're working at. That's where we are, you know, um, in terms of you know TV entertainment. He so he's a a TV star in that respect, and he then quickly gets a lot of shots, right? Splash, the Ron Howard movie, is a hit. Um, not too long after that, Bachelor Party is a hit. 
right? And he's playing these type of, you know, it, there's a slapstick nature to him. He is nice, but he can also be kind of cunning. Like Bachelor Party, he's a bit schneid, right? Like he's he's playing that. And it is that funny thing, re-watching The Man with, or actually watching The Man with Run, One Red Shoe, which I had never seen before, um, which came out in 85. Um, it's really true when you look at his filmography and you look at Michael Keaton's filmography, they're very similar. They, they're, 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 they have to be competing for roles, right? Or like yeah. getting competing offers, right? I mean, Michael Keaton. And it's not just the hair, you know what I mean? It's like, no, for like real. A whole... Yeah. There's, and there's a whole mannerism, right? Where it's like, yeah. maybe, I mean, you could say about Keaton, he's a bit more like wired, right? Of course, like what he's doing is a bit more like jacked up, you know? And, and, and I think. He, he, in that way, he's more directly funny than Hanks ever was. But Hanks obviously has his own lane that he's playing with. Um, yeah, but there's, even there's but also even, yeah. Go ahead. With Keaton, no, I was just gonna say with Keaton, there's also like um, he just seems a little crazier, right? Right. Like, right. I guess so, it, yeah, so, with Wired, and, I guess so, yeah, yeah. I agree. And so he's not quite as like affable as Hanks is. Um, I love Michael Keaton, but I feel like there's like like. Like, you know, Michael Keaton turned Batman. You're kind of like, uh, you're like, oh, that makes sense because that dude always seemed a little crazy. Crazy. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and then in fact, you know, Michael Keaton by the late 80s is in a movie called The Dream Team where he's part of this psych ward that, like, it's almost like, uh, you know, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead or, or adventures in babysitting where it's like, what if a psych ward? What if psych patients were able to have a night out with no restrictions, right? Like, it's like that type of, you know, now you look at it and be like, who allowed this movie to get made? But 30 years ago, people were like, Michael Keaton's new movie, The Dream Team. Um, so, <laughs> but I was going to say a funny thing with The Man with One Red, One Red Shoe is it's directed by Stan, uh, by Stan Dragati, who directed Mr. Mom two years prior, which starred Michael Keaton. So this is the follow-up starring Tom Hanks. Now, this is also a remake. What if a man had to stay at home with his kids? Yeah, exactly. Mr. Mom, huge hit from 83, which the premise is, what if a man did what a woman did and the woman did what a man did? Can you (laughs) imagine? Um, Though I do have a a love for that that movie. movie. (laughs) Look, Terry Garr. Lovely in that I movie. I love Terry Gar. Um, and so lots of Martin Mall. Um, got one of my favorite lines ever. Uh, Michael Keaton. Martin Mall is asking Michael Keaton about he's doing work in the house, and he's like, "All two twenty. And Michael Keaton goes, "Yeah, two twenty, two twenty one, whatever it takes." Great he's line. talking about like the electrical. The electrical. Circuits, right? yeah, 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 yeah. He has no <laughs> idea what he's talking about. Um, so the man with the red shoe comes out July eighty five. Like we said, Hanks is kind of on the rise. He's had Splash in 84, Bachelor Party in 84, and this is his third. This is the follow-up. This is 85. Um, And this is his first flop, right? This movie fails. Um, The the movie it's remaking is a movie called The Tall Blonde Man with One Black Shoe, right? Or A Black Shoe. It's a... Uh, it's a uh, translated from a French title. It's a French film from 1972, um, directed by uh, Yves Richard and starring Pierre Richard. Oh, Pierre Richard is the star. 
Yeah. And the director's name is Eves, and I and I'm gonna look up his last name right now. Eves Robert, sorry, is the director. But it's it's very similar in terms of content. Um, me and Connor were both talking about it before the podcast. It's a remake, and it's basically this spy farce, uh, slapstick thing, in which a unwitting musician gets roped in to this. Uh, he becomes this pawn essentially in this um, situation, this power struggle between two members in the American version of like the CIA, one trying to get the other one's job essentially. Right. In the in the the original seventy two version, it's the French Secret Service, but they're very similar in terms of plot. But one is funnier than the other. Yeah, and we were talking about this. I think the big thing is like. Cause you can, I mean, I can see how the pieces fit together in terms of like Hank's stars on the rise and, you know, maybe, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just a, a, a confluence of things that just kind of comes together at the same time or if one or if other, you know, things informed each other or whatever, but you can see how like you have this French movie, maybe they want to remake it. And then you have somebody like Tom Hanks, like I can see how all that feels oh, totally. like it fits together, but, but like the problem is when it I, I mean both are very broad movies but the uh the french version is smart enough to have like all of the intelligence people like play it straight um and that makes it funnier right because it's like they're just cool as cucumbers um and and sort of just obviously caught up in this it, it, you know this insanity uh without but but like you know they're just completely like in on the job Right. Yeah. And and it's you know, it's a satire. It's a satire of like the just the general buffoonery of, of government and what have you. Um, but it in in Man with One Red Shoe, like they are outwardly buffoons. Right. Like, yeah, Daddy everybody Coleman and company are just like. Right. They're all slipping on banana peels for the whole movie, right? Everybody's and, hamming it up, right? Yeah. It's like it's very there's no one really. And it's funny because we were talking about this. Tom Hanks, who his name in in uh, in the Man with the Red Shoe, his name is Richard Drew. He's almost in a lot of ways the straight man, right? Yeah, I mean he still has like they they recreate um, the the soap bubble like because they there's a scene where basically they're sneaking into his apartment while he's not there because he's going to the dentist. Uh, there's this super broad scene while he's at the dentist, um, and uh, and he decides not to go and he comes back and so all these guys are in his apartment like just looking at stuff because they think he's a spy so they accidentally put his shaving cream in his uh in his i think in the remake it's shampoo but they basically wind up mixing up his shaving cream and his toothpaste so he comes back and he brushes his teeth and bubbles start coming out of his mouth right right yeah because he's he he decides not to go to the dentist and he comes back early so they like panically put everything back the way it was but they don't get anything right right and they mix it all up but and that's but like I guess to that point, those moments are circumstantial for the Hanks care for the Richard Drew character, right? Whereas, yeah. like we're talking about in the French version, um, Pierre Richard is like more of a doofus kind of in his mannerisms, right? Like yeah, yeah, you know where in in the remake, Jim Belushi, who plays Tom Hanks's like best friend, um he's almost playing it more ridiculous which is also in the original but 
it's it's just funny how it's like you got Charles Durning is one of the competing spy, you know, executives, whatever. Yeah, it's Charles Durning and Dabney, Dabney Coleman. Coleman. They're out for yeah. each other's throats. And they're both like at eleven the whole time. Lori Singer is the is the blonde woman um who it's just so funny. I was looking at Lori Singer's career. She kinda she's Isn't she actually a cellist well, in real life. I, that's a that's a good question. She she's in Footloose like the year before this. She's in this. And she's in a few other things, but really goes away, like kind of stops acting, which is kind of interesting. Because I I don't know what to speak to her acting abilities when you think about Footloose or this movie, but she's compelling presence on screen. You know what I mean? Like for sure. Like yeah. she's you know just the like she's engaging to look at. You know, at the very very least. Carrie Fisher's also in this. Um, in I wish she was in more of it. Uh, yeah. She's actually really funny. She's with Jim Belushi, but has the hots for Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks can't be bothered. And she's like, I mean, they are playing, like put upon really well. having an affair, right? Like, well, they, they've kind been of having it. You get the he, idea that he has a line where he's like, Oh, I was drunk. And you get the feeling yeah. like Carrie Fisher took advantage of him kind of thing. Like that, that is the interesting thing about uh, the French version versus the American version is just the French version is a little bit more like stereotypically French in that regard because it's like no they were just having an affair right because they're French right well and you like, could you could feel the studio light the, the studio notes uh, American and for the American version of like oh well no I mean he can't be just having an affair he has there has to be some like hapless circumstance right we need to make keep him likable yeah, like, yeah, yeah 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 and it's weird and you know I'll, well, I'll briefly talk about volunteers which came out a month after this because it's uh, also tom hanks um but i will say just generally how i felt about this movie i will say by the end of it i generally enjoyed it uh basically 50 percent. right like i think when the gags work and perhaps are the gags that are most closely you know copying the gags in the French movie, but when the gags work, they're funny, right? So like the bit with the shampoo and everything's mismatched is pretty funny. And Tom There's Hanks' that, like, reaction insane is funny. cocaine joke at the top. Do you remember at the very beginning with the car? And oh yeah. Just, and everyone's just like, well, that's cocaine. like, okay. Yeah. They're the Moroccans are like, yeah, yeah they yeah. freak out with like, the cocaine. Yeah. That's a funny, like eighties joke. It's so insane. Um, and then, and that's a difference. They don't show, um, in the French version, they don't show the drug bust. No, they only like, it's like it an interrogation basically like immediately after that. Yeah. And then, um, and then the bit it, towards the end of the movie where Jim Belushi keeps seeing, the dead bodies of all these spies. That's the funniest part of the movie. But then they're getting covered up. So he's yeah. trying to convince Tom Hanks that he's seeing these dead bodies. And then Tom Hanks goes and there's like the body's like not on the floor anymore. And Jim Belushi becomes convinced he's out of his mind. Yeah. Cause he's also basically been, he keeps just basically discovering that, uh, <laughs> His that Carrie Fisher is have has been having an affair yeah. with Tom Hanks or is in love with him or whatnot, uh, and then it keeps kind of getting you know Tom Hanks sort of kind of covers it up at one point because he kind of like right. he he has him call Carrie Fisher and she's at her mom's house and he thought he like here it's a whole I'm not even gonna explain it here because it's this whole like hyper convoluted setup for right. like just this like slapsticky thing, um, but basically it like all boils into like. Jim Belushi right gets committed at the end yeah. of the movie. To he like gets committed and it's played as like a good thing. Like yeah. and like and there's a whole this whole bit where like um he pretends to be Tarzan and Carrie oh, Fisher pretends like to be Jane yeah. as like a sex yeah. thing they do that's fun. 
And so at the end of the movie, he's like in a tree doing the Tarzan, you know, the Tarzan howl. And like, yeah, I mean, very, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Stan, I, there's a lot to unpack. Stan, uh, Stan Dragati <laughs> must've thought that was hysterical, but, um, yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of that I feel like in this movie. Yeah, like, just a lot of little things that they're like, this, this is gonna fucking kill, and you're just you watch it and you're like, ah, oh, this is a lot, guys. I don't know. Um, like I'm kind of with you though. I think it, yeah. I think it, I, I think it works like half the time. There's like, there's like, but it doesn't. It's I guess the problem is like, it has the ingredients to be like a really, really good movie and it's just like uh basically whatever one yeah and like there's no and look and and any sort of like like connor was talking about any sort of satire in regards to government and interference and you know paranoia is not really played with at all in in the 85 version you know what i mean which i don't know that i needed anyway to be honest but that you know Look, this but is I think this... that's what it thinks that it's doing. Is I think my thing. I think they think that they're like making sure. some kind of a, a yeah. satire. Now it's funny. So just as a quick aside, a movie that came out only a few weeks after The Man with Run, One Red Shoe, also starring Hanks, that is clearly trying to do more of that, is Volunteers, which is a Nicholas Meyer movie. The guy who gave us uh, Wrath of Khan, um, and this movie stars. Tom Hanks, John Candy, Rita Wilson. Now, Rita Wilson had been on an episode of Bosom Buddies, actually. So Hanks knew Rita Wilson, but obviously here they'll start, they start a movie together and ultimately they will get married uh, in real life and they're still married to this day. So that's nice. Volunteers did a little better than Man with Run Red Shoe. It made about 20 million. Um, so I think for what it is, it probably performed okay. Um, came out in August, TriStar movie. And basically, the premise of Volunteers is Tom Hanks. It's a period piece, so it's in the 60s, made in the 80s. Tom Hanks is a shitty third generation, fifth generation, whatever, rich kid at Yale who's got this like um, uh, affected, rich, like New England voice accent that he does the whole movie which is really hard to deal with actually the uh, the psychological motivation course you took did you find that on the back of a matchbook cover whatever laughs or affectation it's meant to be achieving as part of the comedy it's not worth it i don't think but regardless he's doing it he like and, commits to it hard yeah and basically the bit is he is he has this huge gambling debt and he goes to his father, who's actually played by George Plimpton, the great writer. And he's like, dad, I need, you know, this much money. And the dad's like, no, no more money. You're a leech on this family. You're unbelievable. disappointment." And actually one of the, one of the funniest lines in the movie is, um, um, <laughs> George Plimpton goes, I, I regret the day we ever adopted you. And Tom Hanks is like, Dad, I'm not adopted. He's like, please spare me this one dream, this one lie to myself <laughs> that you were adopted. That's a good bit. And he basically says to Tom Hanks, um, no, you have to figure it out yourself. And then the book is coming to get Tom Hanks, and he runs away. And basically, Xander Berkeley is his roommate in Yale, and he's going, he's joining the Peace Corps. 
and Tom Hanks runs to the airport, catches up with Xander Berkeley, and convinces, like, trades his nice car with Xander Berkeley for his spot on the plane to escape the, you know, the people who are going to break his legs. So he gets on this plane to Thailand pretending to be his roommate and one of the other, uh, two of the other Peace Corps people are John Candy, who's Tom Tuttle from Tacoma. That's like a whole bit in the movie. And Rita Wilson, who's this like lovely, I guess she's meant to be like a New York, Long Island type of a princess. She has, she also has like a little bit of an accent, which also unnecessary, which is just, it's an interesting thing. Like I always wonder with this stuff with movies, we've talked about this before. I often think it's an actor's choice where you read a part and you want to play with it and I get it. And if that's the case, I guess more power to it. But it is one of those curious things where I'd like to know, like, was there ever a discussion where it's like, hey, Rita, like, just play it normal. Like, we don't we don't need the accent, right? Like, but but I understand right. performance wise, you're an actress, you're an actor, you want to put your stamp on it. But at the same time, in this movie, it just doesn't add, regardless. They get to Thailand. And, you know, Tom Hanks, and here's the, here's the biggest problem with the movie. Honestly, this is the biggest problem. Tom Hanks is playing a dick, an out-and-out dickhead. And obviously he has redemption in the movie, of course, and there is a love that develops between Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks. And then, meanwhile, John Candy has this just terrible character that becomes this, like, useless subplot. And it's really weird because Candy, even in the movies that he's in, they're not great. You, you, can, you can always rely on him for a couple of good moments. And for I sure, honestly yeah. can tell you, I did not laugh once at what John Candy was doing in this movie, which is weird because you'd you'd expect that, but I don't know that it's his fault. The way the where the movie puts him and what they do with the character is kind of very uh it's a shame. Um but anyway, that's the problem is Tom Hanks is a dickhead and it's weird because like maybe it's also watching it in 2019. You know, I read I read uh I read a couple of reviews for this movie when it came out. It didn't get great reviews. The Times rips Hanks apart, rips Candy apart. You know, and it's funny to read. They also like diss his bachelor party performance. So it is funny to remember that at this point, bringing back the Keaton thing, Hanks was this sitcom guy that was trying to be a movie star back when that was very rare. And you can even feel some of the critics being like, "Fuck this guy trying to make right, jokes like, on the big screen." Go back to the right. go back to we the small Keaton, screen, buddy. Why yeah. you and Peter Scolari go count your you know <laughs> bosom buddies check? But so. um Basically, you know, without giving it away, not that you should really rush out and see this one, they they have to build a bridge, right? In this like, uh, as for this these villagers in Thailand, um, and there's more going on, right? Like the communists want the bridge. They were like working with the CIA, and it becomes this whole thing where we're like the Peace Corps is basically being used. And so, in that respect. They do go down the rabbit hole, that stuff. There's this like crazy uh, CIA character in it and, and whatnot. You can see there's an idea of a biting satire there. Uh, there are moments, I suppose, when you think about the 80s and you think about Reaganism and you think about post-Watergate and like there's an idea. And and, and there are moments where it plays, Um but mostly it's just not interesting enough. It's not funny enough. Hanks isn't very good. The accent's a problem. And and even the ending is actually, it's a perfect ending. 
for this idea, this satire, this kind of capitalism, you know, this idea of capitalism and its criticism of it and whatnot, but also how it can work and, you know, digging into that. The ending, I think, is a, it's a perfect final note. Unfortunately, there's just not enough of those notes. So, you know, I like it a little bit less than Man with One Red Shoe. It performed a little bit better than Man with One Red Shoe, only a few, like we said, a few weeks after in 85, um, which is just interesting to think about. And then, you know, just to kind of, I guess, get us to uh, Joe versus the Volcano, he has, in 86, three movies. The Money Pit, which is a, pers- a movie I like a lot, did did very well, about $38 million, uh, him and Shelley Long. Nothing in Common, which is a movie... Um, Directed by the one and only Gary Marshall, starring Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason's final role also does pretty well. Later that year, he he kind of tries a drama, this war movie uh, called Every Time We Say Goodbye. I've never seen it, uh, but it barely barely uh, it makes three hundred thousand dollars, so it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, Eighty seven, he has Dragnet, um, which is him and Dan Aykroyd, and that does pretty well. Fifty seven million. Uh, in 87 not bad so this is like he's you know he's made a name for himself right and this is at the point Keaton's about to be Batman right so they're still kind of you know equal to each they're other like, they're, yeah they're on similar trajectories and then I think and this is kind of it's funny to think about this but this is where it changes 88 big Penny Marshall gets an Oscar nomination still one of his biggest hits right still like per way up there one of my favorite movies, still one of his best performances. Um, and a few months after that, Punchline doesn't do that well. He's a stand-up comic. It's kind of a dark That's comedy. Sally Field, right? Him and Sally Field, yeah. yeah. And the joke, of course, is they play contemporaries in Punchline, and then only six years later, she plays his mother. She's his mom. Yeah. <laughs> which is just, you know, Hollywood in a nutshell. Um, 89 is The Burbs, which is a big budget, uh, Joe Dante movie, which people love now. It's a crazy movie. Um, uh, I would say if any of these movies reunites him with Carrie Fisher, right? Yeah. Yeah. Carrie Fisher is great in that too. And The Burbs, if you don't check it out, like of all these movies we're mentioning, assuming you've seen big, um, The Burbs is the one to, to check out because that one is, uh, just wild. Um, 89 also has Turner and Hooch, big hit. He's Turner. He's got a dog. Dog's name is Hooch. That's what the movie's dog. about. You know, I've seen Turner and Hooch, but so long ago. I, I honestly, do you even remember Turner and Hooch? It's on I, Netflix on a, right now. Yeah, I. So, uh, friend of the pod, Teresa Scott. Uh, I, she and I watched it like a, I want to say maybe like a year ago, and that's really like, we, we like had it on in the background. I yeah, yeah I I like couldn't. And remember. it's funny because thinking about Man with One Red Shoe around this same time. Jim Belushi makes Canine, which is like another oh, Turner yeah. and Hooch movie. Because, right. you know, that's what you, Turner and Hooch hits, and you're like, what's up? Let me get some of that Hooch. <laughs> All yeah, right, and then boy. 1990. 1990 is the, now, and is kind of famously to some degree, this is his last year before what is now the famous streak, right? Like the Hank streak of like huge movies, Oscar wins, right? Which starts with A League of Their Own. So 90 is in March, Joe versus the Volcano, and in December, the Bonfire of the Vanities. Now, Joe versus the Volcano is remembered as a flop, but actually, it made $39.5 million and did okay. 
Now, it's remembered as a flop because critically, it was hailed as a flop. It was not well received. Now, the bonfire of the vanities in December of that year is actually a huge flop in every way, right? And I would urge, if you have any interest in flops, and we talk about it, obviously, to some, you know, a degree on this podcast because of the nature of it, I would uh, seek out a book called The Devil's Candy, um, which is about the making and the unmaking of The Bonfire of the Vanities, which is directed by Brown De Palma. Won't say any more on it. It's a great book by Tom Wolfe, not as great of a movie, though it's interesting. Um, And the book Devil's Candy about the making of the movie very interesting. So check that out. Now, Joe versus the Volcano. Connor, you mentioned in the Meg Ryan podcast, so I'll let you go. You really like this movie. So I'm going to yeah, let you take it. I, it was one of those things like I saw this movie as a kid. I think I'm, I, if I recall, I mentioned on the, the, the Meg Ryan episode that like this may have not been the first time I saw Meg Ryan, but like was one, definitely the first time that I was like, oh, I love Meg Ryan. Like she's just so charming. Um, Definitely also obviously wasn't my first Hanks movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just remember my uh, a, a good friend of mine introduced it to me. His mom had introduced it to him. And he, we sat down and he was like, hey, I love this goofy movie. And like, I don't know. I was just, I might have been maybe 12 or something when I watched it. Um, but I was just so like, I don't know, just so struck by like the just whimsical insanity of it. Um and uh, and yeah, and so ever since, you know, like as I got more into movies and then read more about it and just heard how it was just critically torn apart, I kind of was like, and over the years, I'm like, I get it, I guess. But I just, yeah, I don't know. I unabashedly, I love this movie. It's definitely, I mean, the stuff with like the Abe Vigoda natives uh, at the near the end of the movie, that stuff's a little problematic for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think but, this movie is so its own world. That you can almost forgive might be too strong of a word, but you can get past that's when, they, when I, they get to the volcano. It. And it's yeah, funny, they don't get to the volcano until after an hour, right? I mean, really, this movie, it's called Joe versus the Volcano. Kind of a good title, but in a lot of ways not because I mean, if you're it's a good title because it just sounds nice, but there is no volcano. Like it is the volcano yeah. happens at the at the very end. At the very end. And 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 you know. So the volcano also here, fought really he, hard for the end credit, and I think didn't get it. So oh, which why. is yeah. that's huge. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Wow. <laughs> um, but so yeah, I mean you're right, right? This movie I knew before I watched it, which is only I only first watched it a few years ago, right? I I always knew it as the not hit that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan made before the right. two monster hits that were Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, right? And I think that's how a lot of people thought of it. Um, and so you have that to think about but also the thing is now written and directed by john patrick shanley who interesting guy wrote moonstruck great writer only has directed one other movie 15 years after this a movie called doubt based on his play <laughs> right which is just funny to you know anyway um like if you did it if you if you had if you had a shanley night it'd be yeah. a weird night <laughs> yeah you're like covering the two joe versus and but here's the thing right so now, you can read about this. The movie, if you go look at the poster, the movie is sold, and we talked about this with the Meg Ryan, with Hanging Up. It's, it's, it's a, it, was, it was sold on a lie, right? This is the year after when Harry met Sally. Tom Hanks is still the guy in comedies, right? He's still mostly Dragnet. And he's still Turner and Hooch, right? For God's sake, the year before, right? Like, 
this movie sold as Tom and Meg, you know what I mean, finding love on the way to a volcano, right? Like basically, right? Like right. a tropical road trippy adventure rom com, almost, almost like a like a like a Preston Sturgis type of thing. Yeah, you I know, get. You could you could right. picture it something like that. And you do have slapsticky moments that work with what Hanks was giving you in the eighties, but really. That's secondary to this existential dread that this movie is. And even like, so for example, he works in Staten Island. His name is Joe, Joe Banks. He's, he's going to verse a volcano later. And he works at this like disgusting factory. The production, the production design is brilliant. It's like this. There's that that great cover of 16 tons over the, over the credits. That's amazing. Amazing. And it's like, you know, and you have this very, it feels like almost the 1984 commercial, like all these drones, people walking to work, right? His shoe breaks. And he, like, this is, I think, a, a pretty well-known part of the movie. Someone asks him what's wrong. And he's like, I've lost my soul, right? His yeah. shoe, right? Ha ha ha. Which, but that's what the movie's about, right? It's, he's this corporate, you know, makes nothing a week. Um, Dan Hedaya, amazing. Who's I'm not. Great. I'm not arguing with that. Was the line? Yeah. I'm not arguing yeah, he, with that he, with you, Harry. I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah. He just literally. He's on the phone in like the one scene that he's in, uh, in the office. He's he's Tom Hanks' boss, and he's. Yeah. On I'm the not phone arguing with that, Harry. Yeah. Harry, and he literally just goes, "I'm not arguing that with you, Harry." Yeah. Uh, like in various over ways, over. over and over under under the scene, right? So like that's the best part is that like it's <laughs> yeah. just it's just this thing that's happening, and while Hanks is. You know, said he has this like little colorful lamp that he turns on because it just is the only thing that gives him joy at work. I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you, Harry. Harry, Harry. Yeah, Harry, but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. Harry, I am not arguing that with you. Well, in the fluorescence, there's a great moment where he has like a seizure. Yeah, under the <laughs> Because under the, the fluorescent lights. lights are like making yeah. him crazy. And it's just like, you know, these disgusting puke green wall, like... They're yeah. just all these nice touches that really it's great. feel. It's really well rendered, you know, and like and just you know, yeah, great, like relatable. I don't know. I mean, it's over the top. It's insane, but it, it's it's at it's the relatable. Same time. I think in like a in a in a it's it's visceral, right? Like in a in a feeling, right? Like like obviously, I have never worked in a place like that that looks like that or whatever. But like, it so properly evokes like monday like do you know what i mean like it's so oh, yeah. properly evoked, and also like, that i think the point of the like, movie of doing? course is everybody works at a place like that you know mm-hmm. like to some degree in or on some monday or you know what have you and then so basically he hates his life you know the movie's you know he's shouting that at us uh and his uh someone he works with is played by meg ryan who's got this ridiculous voice this like Kind, I guess it's meant to be this like insane version of a Staten Island accent. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. Like it's very. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. And you yeah. almost, you can barely, like I'll say this uh, in rewatching it, I forgot 
that she played the three roles. I remembered the twins. Yeah. And so for the for a few minutes, I was like, I, f- I was like, oh, who is that? Oh, wait, yeah, that's Meg Ryan, right? I just, that's the other thing as I've, uh, and not to go back to Meg Ryan on this, because we've obviously litigated this already, but like, like when I watch this movie now, not only am I like, it's a bummer that this was like critically destroyed, but like give that woman some kind of a nomination. Cause like, she's so good in all three of the roles that she plays. Uh, and the third one is basically Meg Ryan, right? Like to, to a certain yeah. degree. Um, the, uh, what's her name? P- Patricia. Right. Who's um, like the, the good, the good twin the good. <clears throat> of this. Yeah. So basically to get there, right. Um, and I just also, let me just, I love, the movie opens on a Once Upon a Time, which I thought was good. Once Upon a Time, there was a guy named Joe who had a very lousy job, which I like. Um, and he's got this terrible haircut in the beginning. It's ba- He's got this, like, it's almost like a, a mullet, but yeah. with... It sort of you know looks like I mean? his Da Vinci Code hair a little bit. Yeah, it's like, of. it's like, but with bangs almost. It's like very, it's just gross. I don't, he's like, he could not look worse, you know, and obviously that's the point. And then um, he he's a hypochondriac. He always thinks he's sick. He sometimes is sick. And he goes to the doctor. And the doctor's like, you don't have this what you thought you have. You don't have this what you thought you have. But you have this brain cloud. And, and you it's, have... It's Robert Stack, he, which makes it like that much more... Right. Uh, from, uh, from, you know, Airplane and Unsolved Mysteries. and um, Right, right, right. And, and he, he... Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 yeah, he just, he basically, as you're saying, he tells him that he has this thing called a brain cloud, which basically he just is like, it's your, it's this thing in your brain, it's going to kill you in like, in like six months or something like that. Yeah, right. Um, And he's visited shortly thereafter uh, by Lloyd Bridges. Bridges. Yeah, because basically what happens is, you know, because he is dying, this very rich guy sees a use for him and pitches him, hey, I need this resource that's on this what it's Polynesian, right? They're like Poly- yeah, Polynesian yeah, people. Yeah. And he's like, um, I need it. And the only way for me to get it from these natives is for is for me to send somebody to jump into a volcano as part of this whole thing they have they they do right like the celebration to like a and to like appease the volcano basically right right yeah. so there so lloyd bridges is like so will you go and do this thing for me um and if you do you can have all these credit cards in my car and buy whatever you want and like live the remaining uh, you know months of your life's well on this adventure and then wind up jumping in a volcano and he says yes of course and in the process meets like a mean daughter played by Meg Ryan and then the nicer daughter played by Meg Ryan and falls in love with Patricia who is taking transporting Joe to the island with the volcano but then of course becomes this kind of compatriot on the journey and um yeah I mean I think in a lot of ways the first hour works a lot better than the back yeah I would agree um, and and when just he, when he's getting geared up for the trip, there's that great scene with, with Ozzy Davis. Oh, I was thinking with the, just the well that that whole scene's nice. Like that whole sequence that scene, is nice. Yeah. But the 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 dude with the luggage, and he uh, and he's trying to sell him on. It. He's just like, I'll take all of them. And the guy's response is, May you live to be a thousand years old, sir. Like it's like just this great yeah. uh, 
Yeah. I don't know. And the movie's full of things like that. Just these little great little weird, bizarre nuggets. Um, well, I mean, look, it's, it's well written, right? I mean, it's John Patrick Shanley. It's well written. It's well, like there are great lines in it. Um, some of the direction, obviously this was his first movie. It's choppy. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it, you know, you, one could see watching it, how, if you went to a theater in 1990, you felt like this was like cheap or something like, yeah. What did I go in to watch? Like, I feel like I'm not getting my money's worth. It's not really the right way to think about movies like that, but you know, if you're Joe moviegoer and you just, you loved when Harry met Sally the year before, it would be hard to blame someone for walking out if you've been sold this bill of goods. Um, that being said, this is the, the definition of a cult movie, right? Where it has been rediscovered and beloved for all the reasons you would imagine Shanley intended people love it in the beginning. So that's nice. And hey, look, Hanks and Ryan have great chemistry and it starts here. I, it really does. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say before when you were saying like people consider this, you know, have considered this obviously just the, the not hit of their collaborations. And for me, it really is like, it's the recipe, right? Like that's the way I look at this movie is like, you watch this movie and you're like, Oh my God, like these people were meant to be together on screen. Um, yeah. There's that amazing bit at the end, you know, so basically he, you know, he jumps into the volcano, it spits him back out. Uh, and then they get marooned in the middle of the ocean uh, with the very expensive luggage that he bought. It like that, you know, they use it as a raft and, and whatnot. Uh, and um, that's also how the movie ties up. So it's like they could have like just died right on the like, right. There's nothing there's no like postscript. Am I wrong? No, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I mean. But I think yeah, it's meant it's, to be like they basically are just on the, you know. Well, I mean, there's uh, a postscript. She, it's called Castaway, dude. It's, it's well, called that's, Castaway. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah she dies and then he yeah. winds up on the island. He, what um, you don't know is that he eats her before Castaway starts. It's really sad. It's like this whole disgusting thing. Um, no, but she does when because you know you, you find out that his he's been swindled basically by Lloyd Bridges. Uh, and Robert Stack, essentially, because Robert Stack, you find out, works for Lloyd Bridges. Meg Ryan reveals this to him. But she does have that great delivery where uh, he's like, oh, I have a brain cloud. And she's like, oh, did you get a second opinion? And he goes, no. And she goes, you didn't get a second opinion about something called a brain cloud? Uh, which is just – and she delivers it so – I don't know. It's so great. And it's it, to me, it's – like I said, it's one of those – moments where you see the you know you see the ingredients of their of their oh, success yeah. oh, as yeah. a screen couple no and like i mean it's funny to think about how you know the two movies they'll make together after sleepless in seattle and you've got mail um way bigger hits you know will be remembered you know in the lexicon for longer you'd imagine um at least you know by most people um but this one feels like the most fascinating, you know, for as much as I love you got mail for all of my own, you know, personal reasons that we mentioned in the Meg Ryan uh, podcast, there's so much going on here. And, um, and you can look, I mean, we'll link to, I'll link to a couple articles in the, uh, in, in the, in the podcast post on the film stage, but there's interesting pieces written about the morality and psychology dealt with and talked about within Joe versus the volcano, right? I mean, there's a lot to chew on yeah. for a studio comedy from 1990, for right? Like which a broad, is, yeah, for like a broad, you know, adventure. which is one of the reasons uh, it's a cult movie, you know. So I think, 
of the four we're talking about, I I definitely say uh, see seek this one out first uh, if you haven't for seen sure. it. For um, sure. Now, look, we talked about it. <laughs> Hanks is about to explode. League of Their Own. Um, he hits the streak right. Force Gump's gonna hit Philadelphia, obviously. Paul thirteen, Toy Story, right, which brings him and Tim Allen together. While this is happening, okay, Tim Allen in the movie world, um, Santa Claus is November nineteen ninety four, monster hit, one hundred and forty four million dollars domestic, one hundred and ninety million worldwide. Right. Really? Yeah, huge hit. Look, Jungle to Jungle, just looking at it, 97, mm. made made 60 million, right? I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, that that ain't no joke. Um now, Home Improvement. When did that show uh let's see. When did that show start? Now, first episode, September 91. So, this is right at the moment, right? Tim Allen, um Michigan comedian for a long time. Uh, you know, a little famous for going to jail for co- having cocaine with the intent to sell in, I believe it was either the late 70s or early 80s. I think we've all seen his mugshot. Good mugshot. I yeah. mean, he looks, you know, good looking guy <laughs> back then. Had a, had a, had a look. Um, anyway, by this point, gets the show, Home Improvement, right? 91. And it's a, it's a monster hit, right? One of the biggest shows in the 90s, over 200 episodes. We all remember Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Who could, who could forget JTT? Who could forget I'll Be Home from Christmas? I'll Be Home for Christmas. Uh, Wild America, right? You know, he was right there. And so um, never really was a movie star other than the Santa Claus, uh, but had the success with Toy Story and had a few shots, of course, because of the show and because of Toy Story, right? So Jungle to Jungle for richer or poorer, which uh, also came out in 97 with Kirstie Alley. That one did not perform too well. Um, And then you also have, uh, along with Toy Story 2, uh, Galaxy Quest, which which did well. DreamWorks movie, which is a great movie. Yeah, it's great. And I almost wish was a B-side because it is so great. Um, yeah, no, right. I like I kind of want to talk about it, but but we won't. Just we'll, to we'll cheat. go yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go past it. I mean, I will just say I in regards to Tim Allen just to talk on Galaxy Quest, and I don't mean this as a dig. I think there is something to be said for being the kind of actor that can like let people like that can hold people together right and like let everybody around you do their own thing successfully um sure and i because i because i think he's really good in galaxy quest but he's clearly not necessarily like the funniest one in that movie um but i will say to his credit has great ability to just kind of like anchor every yeah. anchor everybody while well, they all just do like well, amazing work look and i think the thing that tim allen does well and I'll I'll admit I've not seen an episode of Home Improvement in a while, but I would guess the same could be said for his sitcoms. Because even as we speak, Last Man Standing in our in the year of our Lord 2019 is still on TV and people love it, right? So, you know he he's had these hit uh, you know sitcoms, you know now for literally three decades. Okay, um, his bit that works is he can't be bothered. Right, like that's the Tim Allen bit that I think is funny, right? He's not stupid, right? He's probably almost 
too smart for his own good. I think that's a common joke in movies like Jungle to Jungle or Santa Claus, right? Yeah. And he 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 doesn't want to admit he has a heart, but he does have a little bit of a heart, right? Like this is his lane. And Galaxy Quest is just like that. He basically plays like I mean, the that William is Shatner the move, right? Like that is that is the arc, right? Yeah. yeah. The arc is literally like I can't be bothered. I'm the star of this show. I hate the fans. I wish I never took the role. But secretly, he loves the role. Secretly, he loves the fan. Right? And, like, as he's forced to, in this real-life situation, you know, that's the thing. So his lane is very simple and work, and he's really good at it. Now, obviously, Buzz Lightyear is a little bit of a different thing, but it's a voice role, so you can kind of play with that, right? Which I think is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Now, the movie we're going to talk about, O2, Big Trouble, Barry Sonnenfeld movie. It's obviously Barry Sonnenfeld is in the pocket of Get Shorty, right? Um, Barry Sonnenfeld, who he gave us men in, uh, the, f- the first three Men in Black movies. He gave us um, Get Shorty, which is very good. And he gave us, of course, who could forget his masterpiece, Wild Wild West. Wicked Wild. Wicked Wild. Wow. Jim know. West, Desperado, Rough Rider. Rough Rider. No, you, you don't, don't want you nada. Don't want nada. None of this running this. Brother, oh, I got it wrong. All right. Um, <laughs> but so um, Big Trouble, uh, weird title for what ended up happening with the movie, is in that Elmore Leonard style of a bunch of criminals and a bunch of other people are all involved in this larger thing. It's in Miami. And the larger thing is a nuclear bomb, right? And you have... You know, there's uh, everybody in the world is in this movie. But before we get into the plot, basically, half of the movie takes place in which there's a bomb and we're in an airport and there's like a chase scene. Now, this movie was scheduled to come out right around the time, if not right before or right after the time of 9 11. Okay, we talked about this with collateral damage when we talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Also had a young Sofia Vergara in it. Yeah, and uh, and so- is still so- in it. Sofia Vergara briefly. Yeah, no, no, right. But it's just yeah. collateral damage. She got cut out of actually. So oh Sofia my Vergara. God. Had, yeah, she had she had two movies uh, that that got you know that just got I totally forgot uh, about that totally shiny. What a fascinating. What a fascinating thing that she <laughs> was in those two movies. Poor I mean, Sofia she's Vergara. fine she now. So it's. Well, yeah, but it took her a while, man. She she's in. Uh, we talked about Four Brothers briefly when we did Singleton. She's in that as well. A couple of years after that, but it took her a while to really break in. That's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, Sofia Vergara, Stanley Tucci, Rene Russo, young Zoe Deschanel, Ben Foster plays Tim Allen's son. Yeah, DJ uh, Dennis Qualls. Farina, DJ Qual. Who could forget DJ Qualls? How can you? How oh, can you gosh. like that name? May he live. Forever. I mean, DJ Qualls who. DJ Qualls, who who um, was in that movie, the new guy. He was the. Yep. I think he was first billed in that movie, the new guy with uh, with Elijah he Dusku. Was t- he and, was uh, yeah. He was the titular new guy. Yeah, he was the new guy. Um, anyway, so Big Trouble gets cut to bits uh, because of nine eleven release date. Uh, release date gets pushed to oh two April uh, two thousand and two. And what what is left is oh. Now look, I've seen this movie before, um, and I wrote when I when I plugged in my rewatch on my letterboxed uh, 
somehow worse than I remember, right? Because yeah. it, it's 80 minutes. Movie cost. It's it's. I'm looking at it. It says 40 million. I would I would I would wager more with reshoots and recuts. With reshoots and recuts. It yeah. made it made it made worldwide 8.5. Basically got dumped. Um, like we said, 80 minutes, barely a movie. Opens with this just like Jason Lee narration that then becomes Tim Allen voiceover. That's clearly a band aid because of stuff that they cut out or want to avoid. Yeah. Um, I Jason Lee, try- look. <laughs> no, go. You go. I'll let you go before I do. No, no, no. I was just going to speak on the narration because when it started, it was like. It's just it does that thing that movies do that, you know, I think started as a stylistic thing with movies, you know, in the mid 90s. It's all like the the best version or maybe not best, but better version of it is like the Jerry Maguire thing where it's like, this is me. This is what I do. This is, you know, like and that's and it's but when it comes in, you're clearly just like, oh, this what? okay because it's like the second because it opens. We open on Jason Lee. Right. And yeah. and he sort of seems to be our, our kind of like general narrator who's like bringing us into this story. Uh, and then we get yeah, his name. His name's Puggy. So it's to your point. It it's a it's a bandaid over whatever they had to do, like clearly, because you're just like, oh, OK, this is your second narrative device that you're throwing at. Like, who's telling this? It's very yeah, literally. Cool. Yeah, literally Jason Lee, whose name is Puggy, by the way. Yeah. He like, th- he's telling the story and he's like, well, you know what? I was locked in a trunk for some of this. So let me throw to, you know, and he like throws to Tim Allen, essentially, who then starts talking about the movie. And it's basically this thing where Tim Allen was a columnist for the Miami Herald and he got fired because his wife cheated on him. And on that same day, his crappy new boss put restrictions on him and he, he had a breakdown and now he's trying to do like PR ad stuff and he's doing a bad job. And he, there's a whole bit about he bought a crappy car because he thinks he's a loser. And Ben Foster's his son thinks he's a loser. Um, Janine Garofalo and Patrick Warburton play cops in this movie. Johnny Knoxville and Tom Sizemore play like two bit criminals. Um, Omar Epps is like an FBI agent or something like yeah. that. Like, him and, and so heavy, basically what happens D is are, uh, are, are they're like, F- yeah, they're like FBI agents or CIA agents or something like that. And so this bomb is in the wind essentially. And they all get involved in it. You know, Stanley Tucci is married to Rene Russo and he's this piece of shit, rich guy. Zoe Deschanel is the daughter. I guess he's the stepfather. Right. And it's like, He's buying yeah. the bomb, and it's all like, this. Why, it's so convoluted. Why is he buying the bomb? That's no, like exactly. The it's, yeah, it's like it's so chopped up. Like it's so chopped up that like I, I when I was watching it, I you just I don't know. I was kind of like, wait, why is he buying this bomb? And I kind of just glossed over it and thinking like I just missed something. But then it's like, no, you didn't miss something. It just isn't in the movie because it got cut out or something like. It's crazy. And it and it's so funny, right? Barry Sonnenfeld, right? Like, I'm just looking at his filmography. 91, The Addams Family. Great. 93, For Love or Money. 
Michael J. Fox movie with Gabriel Anwar. Take it or leave it. Okay. 93, Adam's Family Values. Great. 95, Get Shorty. Great. 97, Men in Black. Like, truly. A masterpiece. Great. You know what I mean? You know, these are, you know, you're four for five and your fifth is fine. Or, you know what I mean? Like, you're. You were hitting it out of the park, almost in like a Rob Reiner type of a way, right? Like just yeah, like that's a really good, that's a really coming, good comparison. Coming out big, and then Wild Wild West kind of gets killed by the studio, right? You know, there's a million. You know, you can read that is so well covered, right? Where it's like, yeah, Kevin Klein, they wanted him to be the straight man. He didn't really want to be the straight man, so Will Smith. They had Will Smith jokes, but so Will Smith really couldn't be the straight man. So if you watch the movie, it is weird because they're like, they're both joking around and neither of them are playing it straight and everybody else is joking around. It almost goes back to the thing we were talking about where it's like, if everybody's goofing off and there's no through line, like, does it work with them? With like, with the right, you know, with the, like the, the jokes can't land if there's no brunt of them or there's no, right. you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't, yeah, right. And, and then, this movie, though, big trouble. Well, this is my point. Big Trouble, even, I mean, this is, you know, whatever, but, like, even, here's my thing. E, so, Wild Wild West, studio interference, movie star interference, fine. Okay? There was a world that movie could have worked. Fine. There's still a lot of interesting things in it. Maybe you don't fully blame it on Sonnefeld. Big Trouble, you have your 9-11, of course, hurting the way it got released. But my thing is, what would have the movie been as a full movie? I mean... Yeah. What's what's here is so bad. I mean, yeah, Tim Allen is basically the least offensive part of it. I mean, he's just kind of doing his I mean, that's the other part of it too that doesn't work is like he's playing it almost weirdly too straight and like not in on the joke almost where he, it's almost like for a moment he tried to be more of a true blue movie star with Joe I, somebody in big trouble. Where he was like trying to do something different, almost. Yeah, I and I, but I think no, no, that's I, that's what I wanted to get to with this is like him in this movie. He's not bad. He's he's fine, but it's like it's just he's just he just is, and I think a part of it is that he's playing. So it's, it's based on a novel by by Dave Barry, who is a Miami Herald columnist, um, and and political satirist, and uh, and and he, you know. Dave Barry wrote a version of himself as the Tim Allen character in this movie. Right. Like, so it's like, I I think that might be a part of it. Right. Like, I think that might be why he feels so it's like why he feels so out of place in the midst of all of these, like slightly crazier or more, you know, more colorfully drawn characters is that he's the dude who drew them. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, he's playing the guy who's like, like aware of it all kind of um yeah right right even though that's not part of the actual narrative of the movie it just feels like he you know you can imagine that he's just he's just trying to be as much like dave barry as he can and you're kind of like well all right and it's just not i mean i don't know it's just not like that interesting he he's not afforded i mean it's sort of a bummer because like and we'll get to this when we go to his next movie but like he's not afforded the chance to do anything and i think um I think that's the thing that I was noticing when you, especially when you think about all, all of the movies of his that are hits, like they're all big and they're all broad and obviously home improvement is very broad and that's his thing. Um, and you just kind of wish he had like something a little bit more fun. 
like to to do and and to kind of tackle with it. I mean, it's a it's a bad movie, so like I it's not that I want him to shine anymore in this movie because it wouldn't have made any difference probably. Um, but, no, right. Um, but it's an interesting, and then also you know you're right. I mean, you just wish you could get a little bit from him, you know, and and even like Rene Russo, who she's only made. I mean. Renee Russo's only made so many movies. I would love to do a B-side with her. Like, I mean, she's so great and and so wasted in this movie. And really, like, maybe one of the highlights is they have kind of a funny meet-cute whilst Stanley Tucci's going crazy. That's kind of nice and maybe speaks to the tone they were trying to work within. There's that but whole it comes thing and with goes the frog. Quick. He, like, gets... Ugh. He like like there's a whole broad thing where Stanley Tucci and that I guess is in the like that's I guess here's the thing with this movie is like I like I don't know how much to even blame the movie because I wonder how much crazy shit is just like in the book or whatever I guess but um I don't but know it's, man it's I mean so it's so insane like he he Stanley Tucci like licks a toad accidentally and starts hallucinating and he sees. Martha Stewart on a yeah, dog. Yeah, it's like I guess in the in the book it was uh, yeah, it was Elizabeth Dole. Like it's like, oh the, my god. Ugh. So so it's clearly something that was like there, and you're just I, but it's I don't know. It's you got to wonder I think for Sonnenfeld too because you, you you think to yourself like why make this movie? Like he even has Dennis Farina do like call back to the the Miami joke, um, you know in uh in get shorty where yeah, he, they can know, gets keep off the plane. Yeah. They can keep it. Right. It's even, if you look at the, yeah. uh, if you look at the trailer for the movie, it's in the trailer specifically, it's like, like on the nose, calling it out. Um, and, but then and even like, it, but even like, but Farina is like playing a lesser character than he didn't get shorty. He's playing like some sh- the, like schnook hitman as opposed yeah. to playing like a mob, you know what I mean? Like an actual just, tough guy. It, and it's, it feels yeah. so lo-fi in that it, way it, too. It feels like, I think a lot of this movie like comes as a product of Sonnenfeld, maybe kind of putting his tail between his legs after wild, wild west. Um, yeah, that's what it feels I mean, like. It's sad that's because it he like never, he, he, he like never comes back. Right. I mean, yeah. Now, funny thing with Sonnenfeld, cause I'm just looking at it. He was a cinematographer first. He was actually the Coen brothers' first cinematographer. He shot uh, Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, um, and Miller's Crossing, for that matter. Um, he also lensed big <laughs> in when oh, Harry funny. when Harry met Sally, which is just funny. funny. Um, but then, as a director, right? He he um, he goes Wild Wild West, Big Trouble, and then Men in Black Two sequel, which is abysmal. I mean, I hate to it's say horrible. it. It's it is. horrible. RV in 06, which is the Robin Williams family road trip comedy. I, I never saw it, but it does actually okay, but is you know, it doesn't exist. And then in 2012, Men in Black 3, which I actually have a soft spot for. It's, it's not a great good. movie or anything, yeah, but it's, I, don't know, it's, I think it's fine. kind of an interesting time travel movie. And then in 2016, you want to talk about movies that you can't believe were ever released. Nine Lives with Kevin Spacey. Oh, God. That was Barry like, Sonnenfeld? Where, Barry Sonnenfeld. He plays Busy Dad Gets Turned Into a Cat movie oh, with Jennifer Garner as well. Man, that movie is... Uh, yeah. That, yeah, that movie is a... I, that was a movie that was a movie that me and Kelly uh, put on, on as a lark, like, you know, for fun for five minutes, thinking, you know, 
yeah. you know, a, you know, a drunken Friday night, and yeah. we're like, oh, this is bad, and then we're like, oh no, this is actually too too bad. We have to turn this. I, off. Like, wait, so you, you know, I, dude, I watched the whole thing. I watched. The See, whole thing. I did not. That did movie, you, okay, yeah. well then, this has now movie. become a Nine Lives podcast. Go <laughs> it's ahead. the Nine Lives podcast. No, that is. I mean, it that that movie is just uh, everything. You know, <laughs> I peruse film Twitter, you know, and look at Nine Lives for like two seconds, and everything everybody says about it is true. It's like I don't know. Like you don't need to watch it or whatever. Um, You're like Han Solo. But, all of it. All of it. Yeah, it's all true. It's, it's all. It's all, all true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nine exactly. Lives. It's just all. It's insane. Um. Yeah, there's a whole like, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's yeah, I don't want to get it. But that makes me really. You just made well, me really sad. Like I thought, because I thought to myself, like, I know. Well, this is what I'm saying. What was the last thing? You, you got to blame it on it's 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 blaming on Wild Wild West and uh, and Big Trouble, I think. And Big but Trouble. no, look. So now back um, to Tim Allen. <laughs> Tim Allen, okay, in 08, he does something interesting, right? Which is he stars, co-stars in a David Mamet movie. Now, yeah. this is, which is funny, um, this is David Mamet's, up to this point, his last theatrically released, or I think in any capacity, um, or no, 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 sorry, yes, last, theatric, last theatrically released directorial movie, because he did direct the Phil Spector movie on HBO uh, yeah. with uh, Al Pacino, which actually I do like quite a bit. Did he write but anyway, that, this is a Phil wait. Spector movie? I think he wrote and directed the Phil Spector movie, which is just called Phil Spector, which is uh, a yeah. Pacino and Helen Mirren. Interesting, uh, interesting movie. Um, Red Belt stars uh, Chiwetel Giofor, um in a really interesting performance. A lot of other people are in it as well. Um, now, Connor, before we get into it, you this was a first watch for you, right, Red Belt? Yeah, no, no, no. And I actually, I was, you know, when we talked about doing this. Um, I, you had kind of mentioned like, oh, let's talk about Big Trouble and Joe Somebody. And I was like, no, 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 I want to talk about Red Belt because it just and I'm glad we did. I mean, just to be clear, it's it's very much an ensemble movie. Uh, Tim Allen is, right. you know, he's technically, I think, second build, but he is not in a ton of the movie. He's in like a good um, nine minutes of it. Like they're good. Yeah, yeah. Like the nine minutes he's in are really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm glad we did because I do. He I think he's very good in the movie. And I think it's worth talking about because oh, no, yeah. I think you do get a glimpse kind of of what I was talking about of like someone sticking him in a lane that feels comfortable for him, but also like really real and really like, I, and I don't know, he, I think he kind of leans into in this movie, um, the, there, I think especially now and certain things he may or may not have said on Twitter and things like that. There's, you know, become a, a degree of unlikability to Tim Allen, um, or at least just kind of that, like a right. Well, like a, yeah, just a, you mean, a look. sterner, harder edge, or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, right. And I think watching this movie, and obviously he made it, you know, over ten years ago now, but watching this movie, like that, that like this movie leans into like that quality of character, and I think it works really well for him, and I think he's really, really great in it. Um, and I wanted more, like, that was the bummer is like, I, I, you know, he's only in it for like, like you said, like nine or 10 minutes, um, cumulatively, uh, cumulatively, but, um, but I wanted more of him. I, he kind of just, he kind of all, but actually as a plot point, like disappears, like he and, uh, Rebecca Pigeon plays his wife. Um, and, uh, Jennifer Gray is also in this movie, which is like weird. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, she's a friend of Rebecca Pigeon's um, and they, they're in the movie and then they all kind of just like actively, uh, actively vanish. But basically. Right. Pl- yeah. For plot- their own nefarious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but plot wise, basically, Chiwetelogy 4 is a uh, he is an instructor uh, the you know of this uh, jujitsu, this Brazilian jujitsu academy in uh, Los Angeles. Right. They're in L.A. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, of course. Cause they're, they're amongst the stars. Film. They're amongst yeah. the stars. Right. They're yeah. making, yeah, they're making movies and stuff. Um, but yeah, basically he's a, he's an instructor at this Academy. Uh, Alice Braga is his wife. Um, and her brothers are, one of her brothers is like a nightclub owner slash fight promoter. Uh, he's played. Yeah. Rodrigo Santoro. Santoro. Yeah. Right. And he's, he's, is he the manager of her other brother? Who's a, who's the fighter? Who's the Brazilian jujitsu fighter? Right. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So basically um, they are, it's the movie starts insanely. Like it's got, it's like in the first five minutes, there's like Emily Mortimer dry gets in a, like a light car accident messes up true intelligence for his car. She's like trying to do a drug deal to get a shady prescription that she needs. And, uh, and she's like very manic and insane. And she goes into this, uh, into the Academy after it's kind of closed up for the day. And one of, uh, one of true intelligence for his, like, you know, it's like prime student. He teach, he basically teaches a lot of cops. Um, right. And Max Martini and Max who... Martini, uh, what has he been in? He when I saw him, well, I, so I thought to Max myself, Martini I was, like, was in like Pacific James Rim. Bagdale. Yeah, he he's been in a lot. He he's in Pacific Rim, uh, the first one, uh, and then what I know him from. And this is actually kind of funny. So, um, he was in the Mammoth Show, the Unit. Oh right, which, which I a- really. I, I really liked with Scott Foley as well and Robert Patrick. Was that like um, right after this or before it? That was like right around this time. It was like a it was a show for like four seasons. Um really like like really mammoth show. Right? Like like the fact that it was on like CBS is so crazy to think about for four seasons, like seventy episodes. Like Dennis Haysburg, Regina Taylor. Robert Patrick, Max Martini, Scott Foley, a bunch of other people, and it's Rebecca basically. Um, in it too, right? uh, I got to look. I'm looking at it now. It's like you know, super. It's like secret. It's like secret soldiers, right? And their unit, obviously, and, and the drama, you know, between the families and within the families and all this stuff. And um, like John Ham, I'm looking at it right now. John Ham had a five episode stint on it uh, before he became, uh, you know, Madman. Yeah, Pigeon. Rebecca Pigeon's in it for a brief period. Anyway, that's how I knew Max Martini. He's been in a bunch of stuff uh, since, but you'd have to think. Obviously, that's why he's in this because of Mammoth. Um, and yeah, just to why don't you finish your the, the kind of what what starts everything? Yeah, yeah. So it's just uh, basically, so Max Martini. Um, you know, you get the idea that he's on. He's a brown belt, so he's on the cusp of getting his black belt, and he's trying real hard and whatnot. Um, and they're, you know, uh, Chuatelja 4 is kind of wrapping up with him for the night. Alice Braga, we get cutaways to Alice Braga, who's kind of, you see that, like, they have invoices that haven't been paid. So you're already kind of getting the sense, like, oh, things aren't going great. It's a rainy night. And Emily Mortimer 
accidentally smashes into Chiwetel Ejiofor's car, comes in to say, you know, something about it, but she's kind of manic and clearly having a terrible time. And Max, uh, Max Martini kind of comes up behind her just to put his hand on her shoulder and she kind of freaks out and, you know, she has her reasons. Uh, and she kind of freaks out and he had his gun, which to me, I was watching this. I was like, what, what, like what police officer in their right mind would leave like a live firearm just like sitting. On yeah. I mean, look, not a, look, it's let's insane. be honest. Not a great, yeah, not a great cop. Like, it, no, he's it, like for, a bad cop. In, in the yeah. moments, in the moments that we get, um, of him in this movie, kind of an inept police officer. But. Yeah. Which like, I, I feel like I'll say this, I think, and I liked this, like, I think the movie knows that. And I, I do think like there seems to be at least with the Max Martini character, this like bubbling insecurity that like, that's why he's like so into getting this black belt kind of thing. Like it, it, at least that's kind of how I read it. Like he's a shitty. Police no, officer. right. Yeah. Um, well, and- Mamet, look, Mamet, Mamet's good at those types of characters. Right. And we can, you know, look, David Mamet is, a guy I really like in terms of his writing. I mean, I always say this um, when I was thinking about getting into writing when I was a teenager, you know, in like an actual way, right. In terms of like, Oh, should I actually start to try to maybe write some of this stuff? His plays were the first plays I read. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I was, if I was reading whatever Hemingway, you know, like and Mm -hmm. playing around with that in a novel capacity, I was reading American Buffalo and that type of stuff. Um, alongside so i have a, a an affinity for him and i love his his direct i love a lot of his directed movies a lot a lot love a lot of his scripts i mean the verdict you know for example yeah, early on in his career unbelievable so he's got a way with writing flawed characters and living in their flaws but then also finding you know the redemption or the you know even if it's not fully redemption the pathos yeah. Uh, within right so max martini plays that wonderfully um and uh and then you know ultimately it'll drive the plot in other ways yeah. um uh, that character but anyway yeah so basically she, sorry so she, she grabs fires gun the gun he's a bad cop yeah. and she breaks this he, and i i do i will say the movie sets itself up in an insane way but i like the way that it that Mamet chooses to kind of do that in order to have everything play out. And you're like, Oh, like it, I don't know. It, it, it sets itself up actually really nicely, even though it seems insane in the beginning, but basically Emily Mortimer grabs the gun, right. And it accidentally discharges, breaks the front store window of, uh, of the jujitsu Academy. And then they're basically like, you know, Max Martini is, is essentially immediately like, look, uh, something, the wind blew something in and it, and it broke the window. And and Chiwetel Four is like okay, like all right, and and so they they calm everything down or whatever. Then basically immediately afterwards, Alice Braga informs you know Chiwetel Four that like they're they basically have no money. And I will say I don't. What do you think of Alice Braga in this movie? Oh, I don't know Alice Braga. I mean, I think she, she I think she's I think she's all right. I just I don't know if she's underwritten or. And I mean, there's oh, also well, there's, she's well, so hang she on. She is like now, the mammoth. Ice this queen is a mammoth. For sure. Thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was going to yeah. say this is a mammoth thing where um, like Lindsey Krauss and House of Games is very much that like. Yeah, I think yeah. he's written good female characters. I do. Um, but I do think also 
that he writes a certain type of female character, and I don't know how far away from that character he ever gets. Right? Sure. So, like, some okay, well, so for speaking of Lindsay Krauss, she plays the nurse in The Verdict. Interesting character, right? Yeah. A two-scene role, but interesting character. Now, her whole character is existence is affected by the decisions of men. So kind of does fit in with the mammoth of it all even still so that's that's where you struggle with the mammoth or i struggle sometimes with him when you think about the way he forms his narrative so in this case braga is a great example of that where her place in the 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 movie it, it sets her up as one thing she becomes another thing yeah and you do you ever get the scene in the middle that suggests it no Right. And you're meant to think because the men in her life know her, it explains why she does what she does. And that's hard to deal with. Yeah, like, yeah. she's It's tough because she basically – so she like kind of, you know, hammers it home to, to Chuichella Jafor. Uh, his name is uh, – his name is, in the film is Mike Terry. Is Mike. Uh, Mike Terry. Yeah. And so she kind of hammers it home to him, like, we have no money. And, like, and it's also, I mean, that's, like, a mammoth thing of, like, characters will say the same sentence twice. That's, like, a very mammoth thing. They want cash to get the window boarded up. Do you have any cash? And on your business, for which you have no cash, we need to replace the window. Your check bounced. My check? The martial arts supply. Mike, we're short. You have no cash. If we pay the window, I can't make the rent. Especially if you're Ricky J. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. God. No, Ricky J. Every one of Ricky J's lines is said twice in this movie. The belt's a fucking national treasure. It's worth a quarter of a mil. He's going to give it to Ricard if he loses. It's publicity. It's publicity. Give me some velocity, eh? Velocity. Or else it's just two monkeys in the ring. None of the fighters know the fighter's gift. You weren't supposed to know. You weren't supposed to know. I don't get it. It's like, I mean, I love it. It's no, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting affectation. It's just that like it, I, cause now I, I haven't seen or read a ton of mammoth. Like I've seen house games. I've seen heist. I really like both those movies. Um, I've seen state and Maine. I like that movie. Right. Um, but uh, the verdict obviously is amazing. But like it, this feels the most mammity to me in terms of like him just really like doing the things yeah. that he likes well, doing. As I was going to say that, director. yeah, I was going to. It's funny you said. I was going to say his last two theatrically released directed movies, um, Spartan and Oh right, Red Velvet movie yeah. are are and even Heist, which came right before all feel like his most him movies, which I guess kind of makes sense as he gets older. Right. Um, but I even have written down in my notes here, uh, Ricky J may say mammoth's lines, the best of, of any actor. Like it does feel like Ricky J. Yeah. You know, um, which is nice. I mean, because he's given, there's so much in those lines, like, um, that it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you would go, not everybody can deliver lines like that. And look, another guy, not to get off track, another guy who delivers mammoth lines beautifully when you think about The Edge and you think about uh, Glenn Oh, Glenn, The Edge, Glenn too. Ross, I forget, yeah, I is, forgot about The Edge. Is, uh, is Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin yeah. 
He's is great. great at delivering yeah. those punchy, um, you know, edgy, repetitive uh, mammoth lines. So some actors can really hit it. Um, and I think it's a it's a mixed bag. I think one thing you'll say, it's a mixed bag in Red Belt. Um, yeah. But I think when it hits, it hits well. And I think one of the coolest things is the Mike Terry character is different to me from his other lead characters, which sure. I think makes... Yeah. The movie itself, like, where, where you'd almost expect, like, Tim Allen plays this movie star who, um, in the course of all these beginnings actions, Mike Terry basically saves uh, Tim Allen's character's name's Chet Frank from a grisly bar fight instigated by the Johnson. one and only... <laughs> exactly, Jake Johnson. Oh, did I crazy. spoil it? Did, um, I, did I jump in too soon? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But, but... um. But you would almost expect a Ch- the Chet Frank character to be more central in most of his other movies, but in but in yeah, this movie you have of... this kind of you have this peaceful like center, and I, I thought that was interesting for Mammoth. Well, no, and it feels I mean it because this whole movie is basically as it gets out of hand, he has no money. He has to go ask Alice Braga, Rodrigo Santoro, her brother, Rodrigo Santoro. He has to ask him for money. He doesn't really want to do it. Um, all the while, everybody's like trying to get him to be the undercard on this upcoming fight. Um, and and he doesn't want to do it because he believes competitive fighting is like unpure. And it's like a little silly, but there's a part of me that kind of loves it. And I I think the other thing too is like Mamet clearly takes it very seriously. Mamet himself is a, I think, a purple belt in jujitsu. Um and um he actually there's an there's an anecdote that I that I came across while I was, you know, doing my limited research on this and um Chuyatella Jafor had been training, you know, for the movie, and he was like, "Oh, okay, I think we could do this." And he and he, um, and he challenged David Mamet to a fight, and Mamet ended it in like one second, and he like pinned him down, and he's like, "It's over, like it's done, <laughs> like." And it's uh, and which I I didn't know that about David That's Mamet, great. so it does it does make this movie I think make a little bit more sense in the grand scheme of his other body of work. You're like, why is like right, why is course. the dude who did Heist and Spartan? Uh, why is he suddenly doing uh, like a mixed martial arts movie? Um, and it clearly is a passion of his. And he ta- he seemingly takes it really seriously. Um, but as everything goes on, he then, you know, he sort of is befriended for a moment by uh, by Chet Frank, Tim Allen, um, because he sa- he saved his life. And and then we so we get that's where, you know, there's this middle this early middle portion of the movie where we get the most Tim Allen. And I think he's really good. He basically plays. I now is could, do you know Dan like if he's based off of anybody specifically? I didn't read too much into it. Um, I was you know, trying to put it together, it, and the the only one well, I could think of is. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say all I thought about you know because at one point Mike Terry goes to the set of like Chet Frank's new movie, and it lit. I would bet a hundred dollars that was the set of the unit you know what i mean because he's he's in a military garb and yeah they're in like desert camo type stuff yeah yeah and so i was just thinking like i bet while ma'am it was approving pages and writing pages for the unit he thought up this whole movie right like just being like what if one of this one of one of these actors 
you know, like, you know, Robert Patrick, you know what I mean? I don't know, like a guy who's yeah. been in a lot of action movies. I mean, Chet Frank is meant to be more famous than a Robert Patrick, obviously. But I, I you know, was getting the vibe of like an Alec Baldwin or a Kevin Costner, like a dude. Right. That's interesting. Who, like, like a dude who, cause you were introduced to Tim Allen's character and he's at a bar and he's without his like bodyguards. So that's, I mean, that's the other immediate thing is like, he is a movie star who would have bodyguards. Right. So you know that he's got to be like an A-lister to a certain degree. Um, well, and they do the interesting thing of like, they also do the interesting thing of, and I think about this, um, you know, if you're an action star in real life, I would imagine you get that weird situation of people who fancy themselves actual fighters being like, I wonder if this guy can even really fight. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, you know, like, I bet he would mean like if you're Justin fight. Bieber and Tom Cruise. <laughs> Hell yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I, I did I did like the impetus, the impetus of that. Like, I imagine that's a real thing action stars actually have to deal with, right? Of like people being like, well, what? Can you even was swing it, what? You know? Was it an action star thing? Because I just got it was a vibe of like he was out and he was kind of maybe trying to fool around because he's trying to buy this woman a drink. And I assume oh, no, that, that, right, I but assume then that that was Jake, Johnson Jake Johnson's mentions. girlfriend and he, and he steps in yeah. kind of. Um. Yeah, I. But then Jake Johnson makes mention of him as a star. I, you know, it's just right. it's one of those things of. I, I thought that was kind of a curious thing. But then, yeah, uh, he, Mike, uh, Terry, and and Chef Frank become friends, quote unquote friends, um, and then things get more complicated. Yeah, Terry gets basically brought in as a you know as a co-producer on on this war movie because uh chet finds out that he's been in the military or uh well joe Montaigne finds out that he's been in the military joe Montaigne is his manager what is or is he the producer yeah, on the and, movie what is yeah. his role specifically no i think he's his i think he's his manager and Man- Montaigne, i will say also like top five in delivering mammoth dialogue no oh, he's maybe, in i mean maybe every, maybe, maybe he's in every mammoth movie I, yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah he's yeah. so good he's got that he He's got that great line when they go to when they go to dinner. Uh, him and uh, Chu tells you for, and he's like, he's like, Chet's got so many ideas. Some of them might even be mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're uh, and and basically, I mean, Montaigne is great at being. I think, particularly in this movie, seductive in the sense of like, you know, he's very affable. He's very charming, and you do when you have those first scenes with him and Chu tells you for, you have that thing of like. Of like, oh yeah, this dude seems like he he could have your back. He seems like he likes you, and then he just like goes another way, you know. Um, and he's he's great at that. But basically, um, Chuitella Jafor has been brought on as a producer, and uh, Tim Allen gives him a a gold wrist, a very expensive gold wristwatch as like a thank you for saving my life. Uh, invites invites him to dinner. Uh, with uh with his wife Rebecca Pigeon. And Alice Braga gets in with Rebecca Pigeon and uh, Jennifer Grey uh, because she runs a uh, like a it's, it's a clothing business, right? Like she makes dresses and fabric and stuff like that. Yeah, she like makes fabrics. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So she it's like high fashion. And so she's trying to get her business off the ground at the same time that Mike Terry's business is failing. Um, but so she yeah. sees this as like, a, you know, an amazing opportunity. She, she gets in with, uh, pigeon and gray and seemingly they have this great, like things are, things are turning around, but spoiler alert, they are not. And, uh, and basically, well, and it just, it's literally, and it's a movie about how much mammoth 
hates Hollywood, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like the worst <laughs> right. people in the world are these rich Hollywood pieces Hollywood of shit, people. right? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, that's kind of amazing in its own way. And they and they basically, they, they get further and further into it. Um, Joe Montana basically steals one of, uh, you know, steals an idea from from Chuatel Ajafor based on his his fighting regiment and t- decides to implement it in this big MMA fight that's coming up. And uh, while the, while this is happening, basically, uh, Chuatel Ejiofor brings Emily Mortimer on as his – you find out that she's a lawyer, and he brings her on. He's sort of simultaneously starting to train her. Um, because she reveals that she had been uh, that she had been raped, so he just sort of starts to train her in self defense simultaneously while this is happening, and they form sort of a, a close close knit friendship, and she's sort of helping him through this this you know legal quagmire of like these guys stealing his idea at the same time that he's he's hard for money. Uh, because Alice Braga reveals to him that she had taken out uh, $30,000 from a loan shark to get fabric from Brazil for uh, Rebecca Pigeon and Jennifer Gray. And when she tries right. to contact them, they basically ghosted, right? Tim Allen. Yeah. Uh, all, all three of them, right? They've all basically ghosted. Um, meanwhile, this very expensive watch that Chuatella Jafor was given, he gives to Max Martini as like a thank you. Uh, Max Martini winds up pawning it. Well, and also um, as a payment because, also as a payment because Max Martini had been moonlighting at Rodrigo Santoro's oh, club right, right. as a yeah. bouncer, and Rodrigo Santoro didn't, didn't pay him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's sort of like a, he's he's like making up for that as well, and uh, and he pawns it and finds out that it uh, that it's uh, that it's hot, right? That it's been stolen. It's worth twenty thousand dollars. And uh, when Chuatel Ejiofor tries to confront Joe Mantegna about this, who, ga- who gave him the watch uh, via you know, Chet Frank, uh, Joe Mantegna basically just also gets up and ghosts. Like, he just leaves. And uh, yeah. and so, you know, they're in hot water and everything's crazy. And then when Emily Mortimer tries to sort of help him, legally speaking, their lawyer, they being Ricky Jay and Joe Mantegna, all, you know, the, the fighting promoters, essentially— uh, they reveal that they have, like, they know what happened with the broken window and all that. Um, and they dress it up as like, you know, he said that their lawyer says to Emily Mortimer, like, oh, well, you technically, you know, you it was the attempted murder of a police officer, and you know, we have the the bullet and all that, and you know, the 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 police officer, this guy Joe, that's his name, Max Martini's name. Uh, he's like, Joe will go down for this. You'll go down for this. You'll all go down as a complex. It's like a whole thing. And uh, as a result, Max Martini kills himself, which is a bummer, uh, off screen. Um, and uh, and so it's all kind of falling apart for Chuatel Ejiofor. And he doesn't really know why any of this yeah. is happening, but he's, but he's hard for money. And so he winds up just taking Ricky Jay's offer to fight on the undercard. And... Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then he goes. He goes to the match. Uh, Randy Couture is in this as a as his name is like Dylan something. Dylan Flynn. Um, yeah, he's like yeah, playing a version like a, of himself essentially. Yeah, like a fighter, um, a fighter commentator type thing. Um, and basically, those cauliflower ears, man. Those cauliflower yeah, ears. Will, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, hard, real, to, hard to look away. Hard to look away from those ears. <laughs> Sorry, Randy. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, hey, it's um, part of the job, but it's holy God. Yep. <laughs> um, and yeah, and basically in the last moments, uh, Chuatel Fort, you know, he has this crisis of conscience because he, he realizes that this fight is fixed, the method by which they're choosing the handicaps uh, for the fight that they actually stole from him, they are using to fix the fights, and this all gets revealed to him. In a very, like, I will say, I mean, I like the movie, and it's very pulpy. It's, it's Well, the ending you know, is, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And it's it all gets revealed in a very, like, mustache-twirly way, kind of. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean... Yeah, it's a it's one of his weaker endings, um, and it's funny because the end of Spartan is almost similarly silly, um, but you get the feeling these are the stories he wants to be telling, and even if he has to kind of like wiggle into the endings he wants, he'll do it. Right? It's like yeah, it, it's kind it of just, interesting in that regard. Yeah, it feels really weird. I mean, but basically. Alice Braga's brother, who's the, you know, the main, one of the two main uh, headlining fighters, he reveals that he's in on it too. And their grandmaster from Brazil is there, who is the red belt, right? Like that's where the movie gets its title. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, Chuatel Jafor winds up like fighting this guy to like suddenly out all the corruption that he just found out about five minutes ago. Right. Like it's, it's a little insane, but he winds up fighting. Well, and it's just silly. It's like they fight outside the ring in like, right, right outside the arena entrance. But then they get a camera um, guy on it and like a camera and gets like, on them, yeah. you know, and then, and it becomes, you know, like, I mean, we'll give it all, we'll give it all away. And then, and then, you know, the master Brazilian, you know, uh, older gentleman, passes the red belt on to Chiotel Geofor and that's how the movie ends. And so it's like the very You know, it ends up end. Yeah, and it ends up being that thing like we talked about Mammoth and the, and the idea of principle and the idea of what's right and the idea of kind of living by a code and all that. You know, it's very, you know, look. It's very samurai code, you know, it's bushido yeah. type shit. You know what I mean? And and it's it's apropos of a lot of uh, mammoth stuff, you know what I mean? And, you know, and there's, uh, you know I mean, Heist there... and Spartan being very, you know, I think of those three movies as a, as a, as a trilogy of sorts, um, mm-hmm. just in their starkness, in their tone, um, and in their, uh, yeah, they're just very bare. They're co- the plots are convoluted and the dial, but then the dialogue is like stripped down and, you know, and Mamishin and all that stuff. Um, and, and it's all about the idea of like, you know, code of the thief, code of the fighter, right. You know, code yeah. of the soldier, right. Like that's what you're dealing with, you know, um, in these movies. So kind of a recommended trilogy in that way, but, um, all, no, all good, convoluted, you know, yeah, yeah. In their it's, own a, ways. it's a good, uh, I mean this movie in particular, it's a good, um, it's a good movie. Like I would recommend it. It's, I I think. And again, to, to bring it back, I mean, I think for the for the novelty of like seeing Tim Allen for like 10 minutes doing like uh, not an overly complicated role, but like it like I said, it weirdly it like feels honest like it's he and, you know, there's that. thing oh, yeah. of Like there's that thing of like, you know, people see certain actors in certain roles and they're like, oh, they're just playing themselves. And it's you know that I you and I have talked about that before, but like 
I hate stuff like that because you're like, you don't know. Like I like they're acting. Like and if you think that right. they're playing yeah, them, you themselves, don't yeah. then then they're doing probably a great job. Um and I think that's kind of how Alan feels in this movie is like you it feels like he's playing a version of himself. Um and but that's like to his credit, right? Like because clearly he oh, probably yeah. isn't, but like he's playing a version of an Alec Baldwin or a Kevin Costner or a whatever. And it's but it's really it sucks because I just do wish that like, you know, you look at the top, you know, his his main, you know, money making uh, breadwinning movies are, you know, these these family friendly trilogies and I guess now quadrilogies and whatnot. Um, and I just wish, you know, I wish maybe someone would. Uh, I, I'm not I mean, <laughs> look, the dude, the dude seems perfectly happy yeah. in his sitcoms and I don't know if he needs any more. I just. I think out of this stage in his career that we're talking about in like the mid two thousands, like I wish we got maybe like one less Santa Claus and one more like semi interesting role from like an interesting writer director. Um, yeah. And cause that's not to say that the dude has like a tremendous range, but like I, anytime he was on screen in this movie, I was like interested, you know? Oh yeah. And I mean, look, I think big trouble was another shot and it didn't work. And that's, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld, obviously, especially in that moment still was that type of director. Um, so, you know, you can point to that. Um, you look, like we said, he's got a lane. I mean, last man standing has been going since 2011 over 150 episodes. So, I mean, it's hard when you're, when you're good at that thing you do, it's hard to break away from it. And even with Red Bull, yeah, like playing this tired, corrupt movie star, it feels so revealing in a great way. And even there's a great moment where he's talking to Chiwetel Giafor and he's like, he's drinking and he's, he goes, oh, I drink too much. And then like somebody comes in and gives him another drink. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing. There are a lot of little, things. It's, it's great. Yeah. Like there are great moments like that. Um, yeah. And, it does speak to that way we may think of Tim Allen of like, you know, look, the guy's a conservative in real life. We know this. Like you said, Connor, he's, you know, gotten a little bit of hot water for his opinions about using the N word recently and whatnot and da, 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 da. And, you know, he's always, he's always kind of, t- you know, been on that, that lane to some degree. Um, so, you know, that's its own thing. Um, but, I think what's interesting about Red Bull, Red Belt, to your point, is, yeah, he seems like this guy who has layers, is an asshole, right, but is dealing with his own shit, which I feel like if that's not Tim Allen, you know, in all of our minds well, to some degree I, when you, like, yeah, I guess you know, watch thing. him it as, felt, you know, felt really you know him, in a really refreshing way. Yeah, like him being Buzz Lightyear and then, you know, doing interviews with Tom Hanks and looking like he would literally rather be anywhere else, right? You're just, you know, that's <laughs> there. There is a interesting, uh, you know, uh, something to to pull from there. So, I mean, in terms of look, in terms of what these guys are doing next, uh, you know, I think we all want another ten seasons. The Last Man Standing. I, I think I speak for all of us when uh, I say obviously. that. Obviously, I'll take as much Nancy um, Travis as I can get. You know, actually, yes, for real. I want Nancy to keep getting work. I love Nancy Travis. Um, and then, um. You know, with Hanks, he's got a lot coming up, of course. He's going to be Mr. Rogers, filmed right here in Pittsburgh. What's up? Um, he, uh, of course, Story Story 4 is out right now. He's in, um, I believe he's in, uh, unless I'm crazy, I believe he's in the laundromat, the Soderbergh movie. 
um, with Meryl Streep. I'm going to check right now. But what else do you want to see him do, Connor? Um, I mean, what's funny is it's tough because he's done he's done so like he's done so much, right? So it's there. I I do think you know there are, and we've talked about a couple of these actors, but like it, I he is one of those actors that if ever anybody I think has kind of earned the right to kind of sit back and just like not really give a shit. Um, it is Tom Hanks. Um, but I do like, I think about like, um, I don't know. I, I, I do want to see something a little bit more meatier from him. Cause even, even him being in like bridge of spies, which I, I didn't like when I initially saw it, but I've rewatched and have come around to it. Uh, and I, and I do actually like it quite a bit now his performance in that it's not bad it's just like it's not as interesting as say his performance in like saving private ryan or road to perdition or so i kind of would like to see him fall back into a like a a really more um cerebral like introspective performance a la a la a castaway you know well, you might be you might be getting it. So here are two that are in post production. Actually, I was wrong about the laundromat. He's not in that. Um, but here are two that are in post production. A movie called Bios B I O S, um, directed by Miguel Sapunchnik, who we know from his Game of Thrones episodes. He also directed Repo Men from many oh. years ago, in which we learned that a job is a job. A um, job's a job. Also with Alice Brock. Job's a job. Also with the Brocks. Um, so this movie, I'm just going to read you what it says on IMDb. Tom Hanks is in it. On a post-apocalyptic Earth, a robot built to protect the life of his dying creator's beloved dog learns about life, love, friendship, and what it means to be human. Wow. So that's something coming out. And then the second movie coming out that's in post-production I uh, hit the mic there. Sorry. Is Greyhound, which I knew about a little bit, directed by Aaron Schneider, and that um, is he's a Navy officer uh, in World War II. So that's you know sure. Uh, sure. feels like like he's in the pocket there. A don't little you bit. wish? Don't you wish? Like for instance, and you know, I mean, whatever. It's a whatever. It's a nothing movie. It doesn't exist. Um, we actually, honestly, maybe could have called it a B side and talked about it. But like, don't you wish like the circle was better? Right. Like, like, cause I remember, oh, yeah. I, was, I mean, the circle, I, I mean, not only, I mean, here's the thing with the circle. Um, it's not a great movie. James Pond salt movie, not a great movie. And he's not very good in it. I didn't think that's, that what, was what kind you, of what you thing. think like, about him in it. It's no, he's bad. But like I, when it, I watched it on an airplane, right. And like it, uh, I remember thinking when the movie was coming out, like, I it didn't look very good from Jump Street, right? But it was one of those things of like, oh, but like Tom Hanks playing like an evil Silicon Valley billionaire, like that sounds like that at least could be fun, you know? Like, and it's just not, yeah, and yeah. like it's it's that's no. like a bummer. And so it's like, I guess that's my thing. It's like if I'm not gonna get at least that out of him, I'd at least appreciate some kind of a. I'll take like a retread, like I said, and into a you know a slightly. I mean, I guess we got like we got Captain Phillips, and he's very good in it. Um, it so he's, yeah, I, I guess mean, that's the thing. He's Sully, still been doing. Yeah, Sully's he's very good in Sully. Lovely movie. Yeah, he's he's still been doing really good work. So I, it's not. I'm saying this like sort of neglecting a lot of his more recent uh, output that's still really good. But 
Um, now, I would also Tim even Allen, take a Meg Ryan movie. Uh, him and Meg Ryan. Well, I mentioned I before, he has a brief, he's briefly in her directorial debut, Ithaca, which came out a couple years ago. Um, I was going to say uh, that there's actually a Netflix movie called El Camino Christmas <laughs> that Tim Allen is in with like Dak Shepard and a couple other people. And it's like a crime comedy. I watched it. Um, eh, you know, it's, it's like, there are, there are moments in it, you know, Tim Allen, Tim and Allen Dak plays Shepard. like that a, feels like a pair that feels like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, fe- that feels like, uh, that feels like where we're at. That feels like yep. where we're at. Um, yeah, yep. but, um, yeah, I mean, looking at Tim Allen, he doesn't have anything immediately on the rise. I suppose other than uh, I'm presuming we're going to get more or less man standing, uh, all, all jokes aside. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think with Tom Hanks, yeah, I mean, look, He's at the part of his career where, yeah, he's like literally. I mean, it's not even parody. Who's playing um, Mr. Rogers? Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Like, who's yeah. playing Captain Phillips? Tom Hanks. Who's playing Walt you know, Disney? Sully. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Walt Disney. Sully. Right. I mean, like, who's who's an American hero? You know, or you know, a complicated American, whatever it is. Tom Hanks. Right. So. Something like this BIOS movie could be interesting, right? I mean, it could be uh, something a little bit left of center, but I do think he's in that like a moment cloud of atlas kind of like a right. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, yeah. but other than that, he's in that Jimmy Stewart thing. I mean, that's what he—that's what he is, right? He's doing that for us. So, you know, I don't necessarily mind it. I agree with you on Bridge of Spies. Upon rewatch, I really, really enjoy the movie. Uh, I didn't love it as much when I first saw it, but. Uh, I actually think it's one of his better performances um, of like, of like, I'd, I'd, I'd sooner rate that one higher than a Captain Phillips. Actually. I think I agree. Yeah. He's so good in bridge of spies actually. Um, Which, which, and even Spielberg, uh, it's great. By the way, Spielberg, we should have mentioned before executive producer on Joe versus the volcano. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Hanks has got a bunch of stuff coming up. Alan, you know, he's going to keep doing his thing. You know, I don't know that we'll see another red belt performance from him, but it'd be nice. Um, you know, like honestly with Alan, why doesn't he just do, do I would love to, what's an hour like of stand up with Tim Allen? I mean, obviously yeah, I don't, probably I mean, I don't politically, yeah, politically yeah. it would be a little, right. Yeah. Probably but I mean, uh, yeah, you know, as I say it and I hear myself say it, maybe we yeah, don't, don't um, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. No, don't cut it out. We're leaving it in, but I'll, I'll acknowledge the mistake. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess hopefully we're all enjoying Toy Story 4 as you listen to this. Um, I'm sure it's doing well. And, you know, I guess I'm hopeful for the Mr. Rogers movie, if not amazingly excited for it. Um, And uh, we'll always have Red Belt for Timmy Tim Allen. All right, Connor, I'm going to let you take it away. Thank you all for listening. And over to Connor for the final word. And starring the volcano as the volcano. You just remember what your <laughs> cast is for you. Oh.